Please turn in your Bibles to this morning's scripture reading, Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. And if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it can be found on page 458. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 23, beginning with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This morning, we're beginning a new series through the Psalms called Songs of the Shepherd King. During this series, as as Mark alluded to, we'll hear from some different preachers, we'll study some different Psalms, but they're all going to be focused on this aspect of shepherding. Along with this theme of, of shepherding, we'll also join one of the great hallmarks of Reformed teaching, of the Reformed doctrine of Scripture, that Scripture points to Christ. Some of our psalms are going to speak directly about him in a prophetic sense, while others speak more to our experience here on earth. And in our experience, uh, they're going to exhort us to praise, to pray, to meditate on the word, but in all of it, we're supposed to be moved to worship Christ because he is the great shepherd. Now, some of the ways that the psalms do this is by utilizing two really big overarching themes. First, the Psalms utilize a theme of of the righteous versus the wicked. Take Psalm 1, for example. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So you can hear this theme of the righteous man versus the wicked man. The other big overarching theme that the Psalms contain uh, deals with the Davidic covenant that covenant, that promise that the Lord made to David that a son of his would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And so it's no wonder that David, who wrote our psalm, Psalm 23, this morning, and who also wrote over 70 of the 150 psalms, would come back to this promise. When the Lord speaks to you directly and gives you a promise that one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever, you tend to pay attention to that. Psalm 2, though, not written by David, says this, It says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2 concludes by saying, blessed are all who take refuge in the son the Lord has promised to Israel. Now these first two psalms set the tone for the rest of the book. They give us a preview of of really all that the psalms contain. The reminders, hence, ways to keep us focused on the Lord and on his promises. So when we come to our series, we can expect to hear common themes along these lines, that the Lord is our shepherd, or the Lord is one who makes and keeps his promises. He's the one who meets us in our lives and understands what we've gone through. 
And that's certainly where we're headed in Psalm 23 this morning, where we'll see the Lord as our shepherd. But before we do, won't you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, you have given us this book of the Psalms that speak to our lives. But Lord, help our focus not to be on ourselves. Help our focus to be on you, the great shepherd. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to read, our ears to hear, and our minds and our hearts to understand. Lord, would you bless us this morning as we study. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I went to a small Christian college in Tennessee. It's in a very small town. In fact, I grew up in that town, so I didn't go far from home to go to college. But I had a professor who also was from that same town and knew my parents pretty well. She taught in the English department, and that was my major, so I had to take her. The first class I had with her was Shakespeare, something like 16 weeks in the semester. and We read a play a week and had to write a response about it. It was a very busy class. But she'd been teaching so long that my mom actually had her at that college the first year. The first year that she was teaching, and I had her the year that she retired. But she knew the material. She knew it really, really well. In fact, one day she forgot her notes, and she said, what play are we doing? And we told her, and she said, oh yeah, turn to act two, scene three, we'll read the dialogue there. And, and she just taught the class without any of her notes. But in all that time, she never ceased to care about her students. She never ceased to truly love us. One day she forgot a handout that we really needed for our big final capstone paper and this elderly woman takes off running out of the class and we're all looking on what is happening. Um, but she was so concerned that we had what we needed. She wanted to make sure that we uh, had the material we needed to succeed. That was just who she was. But she was also incredibly gracious to us. She was incredibly gracious to me personally. I had a very busy semester, and when Christmas break came, I was especially glad to be done with Shakespeare. I was satisfied with the B that I'd gotten in her class, but being the small town that it is and her knowing my parents, she looked up their phone number, called them, got in touch with me, and offered to let me rewrite my big paper. <laughs> Get a few points back. And, may, and that might bump it up to an A. Side note, I didn't take her up on that offer. <laughs> but the phrase that came to mind was how aggressively gracious she was. Aggressively gracious to me. And when we come to our passage this morning, we see Christ, we see our shepherd providing, caring, pursuing us in that same way. Our psalm begins this morning with a statement, pretty basic statement, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And while it seems basic, it's certainly anything but. And what follows is a poetic recounting of all of the ways in which the Lord is our shepherd. It's a reflection of praise for who the shepherd has been and who he is in David's life, who he's been throughout all of David's life. David remembers all the ways that the Lord has shepherded him, pursued him. But notice how it ends in verse 6. The psalm ends as David looks forward to an eternity with his shepherd. 
So as we study this morning, I pray that the Lord uh, would open the text that we might see him as the shepherd in the pasture, the shepherd in the valley, and then the shepherd in eternity. That's where we're headed this morning. The shepherd in the pasture, shepherd in the valley, and then the shepherd in eternity. So in describing how the Lord is his shepherd, David, David offers this evidence. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And for David, this is quite literal, isn't it? As a young shepherd himself, he likely would have been in those green pastures and beside that peaceful water in that soft grass. And these aren't rapids, these aren't rivers, this is just a peaceful, soft place. It's an ideal place for sheep, away from predators, away from anything that might harm them. But he knows where his food's coming from. He knows where his next drink is coming from, just like the sheep. But that wasn't always the situation for David. Although David certainly here in the text has physical provision in mind of food and and drink, you'll recall that Jesus acknowledges David didn't always know where his next meal was coming from. Christ teaches about the Sabbath, and he recounts how David goes into the tabernacle, and he takes the showbread, the bread of the presence, the bread meant only for the priests. And with all the respect that David had for the priests, the reverence he had for the tabernacle and the desire of his heart to build a temple for the Lord, you can imagine how David would have struggled to do this, how desperate David would have been before he even approached this. So let's be clear about what David is praising the Lord for here in our our psalm. He's praising the Lord for his provision, but he's not praising God because David has received everything he's ever wanted. He's not praising the Lord because every physical blessing he's ever desired, the Lord has given to him. But the Lord is praising, I'm sorry, David is praising the Lord because when he was in need, God remembered him and provided for him. David's looking back. He's remembering and recounting all the things in his life the Lord's done for him. You need only read the rest of the book of the Psalms or 2 Samuel to remember that David wasn't always in the pasture. He wasn't always beside those still waters. At one point, he was in anguish and he was so thirsty while he was hiding in a cave that three of his best friends, three of his mighty men, broke through a Philistine camp just to bring him a drink of water from a well in Bethlehem. But look where our passage goes next in verse 3. David says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The provision the Lord's given to David, the provision that he gives to us, that he gives strength to our bodies, it restores our souls. When David's belly is full, he turns back to the Lord, acknowledging his goodness Acknowledging that the Lord does, in fact, provide for him and for his people. So David knows that, that this physical provision, it's an assurance that the Lord has provided for his soul. That's why today when we eat and drink, we have a meal, we pause for a moment, we give thanks to God. The Lord has provided this meal for us, and so we thank him. We glorify him, we praise him because he would remember us, even in our hunger. And if he can remember us in our hunger, then surely he can remember the need of our souls. But not all of us have enough to eat, do we? Not all of us can afford rent every month. Not all of us feel like we're in a pasture or beside still waters. And so, in many ways, the psalm becomes a difficulty. It does. 
But just like the wedding vows go for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, he is our shepherd. He's the shepherd to the wealthy person, and he's the shepherd to the poor person. Psalm doesn't promise prosperity, but it does promise that the Lord is with us. There in the pasture, he is with you. And when you eat, remember that he is with you. When you lie down to sleep, remember that he is with you. And if he's with you, he's caring for your soul. Just this week, we've begun our our growth classes, and on Wednesday night, I'm part of a class going through a book called Keeping Place. And in that book, the author describes this longing for home that we have. It's a desire that we all have to be at peace and at rest and at home. And so the psalm then reminds us that the Lord is our home, that we can rest in him. When we can remember and recount how the Lord has provided for us, we understand that he's made a home for us. That home is with him. Wherever we might be, that's our home. It's with the Lord, and so we ought to glorify him. Because that's what David is doing here, isn't he? He's not pointing at himself saying, look how great it is to be in the pasture. No, he's pointing at the shepherd saying, he's with me. Look how great he is because he's with me. He's given me rest. He's cared for my soul. He's given me a home. But the Lord's also given David a direction. Keep looking back at our text. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Because that shepherd to all, that great shepherd, doesn't just provide for his flock by keeping them in the pasture, but he leads them. And he leads them down the righteous path. And that path is sometimes in times of plenty. Others, it's in times of want. Following the shepherd is to hear his voice. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. He knows them, and his sheep follow him. The Lord leads, but it's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's easy to forget who the shepherd is, especially when we're in that pasture. When we're in those times of plenty, when the Lord's provision is abundant, it's so easy to forget that our shepherd is with us, isn't it? When we're at rest and our stomachs are full and our souls are at peace, it's the easiest thing to just let our prayer lives dwindle, isn't it? It's the easiest thing to spend five less minutes reading our Bible, or not at all. It's easy in times of rest and times of plenty to stop listening to the shepherd, stop following where he's leading. It's easy to forget that his voice, his words are written down for us. It's easy to forget what he's called us to. There are many things in scripture that the Lord calls us to do, but one is to forgive. Plainly has told us to forgive one another. Do you hear his voice or not? It's easy to forget that he's told us we're to bear one another's burdens. Do we do this? Are we listening to the shepherd's voice? It's easy to forget that we're all part of the same flock, serving the same shepherd, but we are his sheep. If you belong to the Lord, then he is your shepherd and we are his sheep, so listen to his voice. But in those times when we're not in the pasture, It's really easy to remember, isn't it? When all our needs are not being met, it's easy to say we need a shepherd. It becomes much easier to ask for help from other members of the flock. It's easy to remember our need to pray and to come to church 
And let's be honest, after 9-11, our churches were full. They were full because for the first time since Pearl Harbor, our country didn't feel safe. So we were bursting at the seams across the country. But the Lord is our shepherd in the pasture, and he's also our shepherd in the valley. Look back at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So let's be clear about this as well. Listening to the voice of your shepherd, it'll keep you on the paths of righteousness, but that path will eventually walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice where the shepherd is in this section with David. He's right there with him. He's leading him. And for that reason, David will fear no evil. And there in that valley, we have a great need for our shepherd, don't we? The needs are always around us, but where is he? He's right there with us. And we know that by his spirit, he's with us. We know these things. But don't forget who Christ is. Don't forget that he lived a human life. Spent 30 years before his public ministry began. He listened to his parents, obeyed them. He asked questions. He grew. He learned. He lived a whole human life. And then when his public ministry did begin, he was baptized and then led out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. He knows what it's like to be hungry. And after that fasting, he was tempted by the devil himself. And after he leaves the wilderness, he begins his ministry. And at every turn, the religious leaders of the day questioned him. They tried to catch him in some trap, tried to make him look like a fool, questioned him at every turn. He was struck, he was beaten, he was mocked, and eventually he was hung on a cross and died. We have a shepherd who has not just led us sometimes into the valley, but has walked that path himself. We have a shepherd who's been tempted in every way as we have. We have a shepherd who has spent time in the valley of the shadow of death himself. So when David recalls that his shepherd is with him, I doubt that David could imagine that the Lord himself, the Messiah that had been promised, the son of his that had been promised to him, would come and suffer the way that Christ did. I doubt that David could imagine the trials and the temptations that Jesus would face and yet triumph over them. How could David imagine that his shepherd would take on a human body to himself and truly become Emmanuel? God with us in every sense. So in those moments when you're in the valley and they feel so alone, don't they? Remember that your shepherd is with you. Jesus was betrayed. He was hungry. He was tempted, struck and beaten and tortured. He is not a God who is distant and far off from your hurt and your suffering. He is a man, God himself, acquainted with grief and sorrow. And yet, when Christ ascends back to heaven after his resurrection, what are his comforting words? Behold, I am with you, always, even to the end of the age. But in that valley, it's easy to doubt, isn't it? It's easy to doubt that your shepherd is with you because it certainly doesn't feel like it. The valley is lonely, it's difficult, and in many ways, it's hopeless. We've all been there. And if you haven't yet, you will. At some point, you will be in the valley. But remember, your shepherd is with you. 
But here's how we, we test this. Here's how we take comfort in this. At the end of verse 4, David goes back. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now these images here, again, very real for David, the shepherd himself. But the rod would have been a weapon to fend off uh, predators from the sheep. And the staff would have been those, one of those typical shepherd's crooks that you uh, grab the sheep with, keep them on track, pull them away from danger, correct them. Now, is it ever painless to be corrected? Is it ever painless to be uh, pointed out that something about you is lacking and you need to grow? That's not painless. It's not pleasant. So when you're in the valley and you wonder why you're in that valley, perhaps consider the valley itself as the rod and the staff of the Lord. As he tells one of the churches in Revelation, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Sometimes that simple unpleasantness, we think it's persecution or something else, but it's really the love of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Suffering is real. Pain is real. Persecution is real. And they're horrible things. And we look forward to the day when Christ will put those things right. And those will no longer be a reality. But sometimes the Lord disciplines those he loves. But remember what he says in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So whatever you're facing, know that the Lord is with you. It's easy to, re- it's easy to doubt, but remember the Lord is with you. It's here at our text in verse 5 that David's thinking now returns to the Lord's provision. You can see how verse 5 parallels with verses 2 and 3. He moves from considering what the Lord has done and, and through the valley to considering what the Lord will do in eternity. So verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And certainly throughout David's life, the Lord has given him victory over his enemies. There are a couple of feasts that David throws that are recorded for us in Scripture. And most certainly, the Lord anointed his head with oil to make him king over Israel. But in remembering all of these things... Remembering the Lord's goodness and the Lord's provision in his life, David moves to consider the future, what the Lord is going to do in the time to come. He considers now the shepherd in eternity. So verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What a powerful statement. What an immense statement of trust in his shepherd that David believes that goodness and mercy will follow him the rest of his life. What an amazing thing that the Lord would provide that for David and for us as well. But there are two really fascinating things in my mind about this passage. First, the word translated mercy here. It's a good translation. It's an accurate translation. But the Hebrew word is hesed. And if you don't know any other Hebrew, remember that word, hesed in Hebrew. Hesed is that loving kindness that steadfast love of the Lord, that forgiveness through his covenantal love, that's what's wrapped up in this word here, mercy. So the Lord gives his steadfast love and mercy to his people. Surely goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life. 
Now a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus reply? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And when the Lord walks past Moses on the mountain and proclaims himself there to Moses, what does the Lord say about himself? He says, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when David exclaims that goodness and hesed, goodness and mercy, goodness and steadfast love will follow him, what's he really exclaiming? The Lord is my shepherd, and my shepherd goodness himself, loving kindness himself, shall follow me all the days of my life. The goodness and grace and mercy of our Lord is not something Else, It's not something outside of himself. It's, it's not a substance that we can buy or sell. The goodness and grace and mercy of our shepherd is the shepherd himself. The other feature of verse 6 that fascinates me is the word to follow. Again, it's a good translation, but the sense of that word to follow is to pursue. It's not just that goodness and mercy are following him because Let's be honest, children follow their parents sometimes and they do it pretty begrudgingly. But it's more of a pursuit, a chase, a, a determined mission to catch you and hold you. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Surely the Lord, surely my great shepherd will pursue me all the days of my life. And after that pursuit, by goodness himself, by love and mercy himself, he will bring me back to his home, and there I will dwell with him forever. There in that eternal pasture, beside the water of life himself, we will dwell forever. What a blessed shepherd we have. So what do we do with all this? Well, we can take a lesson from David and what he's doing here in our passage. He's remembering. He begins with a declaration of who God is. He is the shepherd, and I will not want. He's my shepherd, and I will not want. Then he looks back over his life and remembers. He remembers the times of plenty in the pasture. He remembers when his cup overflowed. He remembers when the goodness given to him by the Lord was overflowing. But he looks back at the valley as well. And there in the valley, he sees that his shepherd was with him. Even though it wasn't always green pastures, all along the way, the Lord was with him. God has provided for him, cared for him, and pursued him. So do the same. Look back over your life. Remember where the Lord has provided for you, where he has cared for you, where he has led you through the paths of righteousness, whatever the situation is. Look back and remember. One of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. One of the lines goes, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I know by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And Ebenezer was a remembrance. It was a testament to God's provision. And the first one we see in Scripture is uh, after Israel entered the Promised Land, finally, the Lord stops the Jordan River, the Ark of the Covenant goes past, and then all the people go past as well, and Joshua orders the tribes to set up stones on the bank of the river so that for future generations, people could look back at the stones and remember what the Lord did. Set up an Ebenezer 
in your life. Remember what the Lord has done for you. And when you look and see how the Lord's provided, trust him. Trust him like a sheep trusts the shepherd. Trust him with your today. Trust him with your tomorrow. And trust that he will pursue you and bring you into his house forever. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and great shepherd, we thank you. We thank you that you've provided for us in ways that we can't even imagine. So Lord, I pray that you'd make us a people who remember. Make us a people who remember you and what you've done for us and how you've provided for us. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to guide us down paths of righteousness. And wherever those paths might lead, help us to trust you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.